We're going to have some fun today and do some things a little differently. At least in a couple moments we are. There we go. But uh, so, so first, I'll, I'll just ask, uh, how many of, uh, of you in the past have ever done soil testing? Do you know what soil? Okay, I see one person. Oh, you were in charge of it, though. That wasn't at your home, was it? That was for a job, right, Jonathan? Oh, you did it at your home, too. Okay. Anybody else has done soil, soil testing? So I know very little about that, uh, but I Googled it. And apparently, and the, the pH balance in your soil really affects how things can grow. And so what you can do is you can, and, and nitrogen and all these other things. So you can, like, dig up a little bit of soil. You can do an at-home test, or you can put it in a little baggie, send it off to a lab. They look really carefully at it, and then make some notes, see if it moves. Uh, and then they send you back information. And so uh, the, the whole idea, you know, is to get your soil healthier, and, and they can tell you, is it good, is it bad, all this stuff, and, and what you need to do, depending on what your purposes are. The, the problem is that the people that are analyzing that soil, apart from the actual garden, they can't actually see how much water is getting into the soil. They can't see if there's a bunch of rocks all over the place. They can't see if it's directly underneath uh, an eaves of a, of a home where all of the runoff from the, the slate or the, um, or the roof is, uh, is falling directly onto it. Uh, they can't see if there's a, a street right beside it where cars are constantly kicking dust up onto it. So, so these deep analyses can only go so far. They can help. But what really matters and how you really find out um, how the soil is doing is by watching something grow is by seeing what happens when the seeds go and get planted. And so, uh, so with all of these factors, we have been talking um, about what does it mean to grow healthy? What does it mean to see ourselves in the images that Jesus gives us um, that really link back to the idea that God is a gardener? That, that uh, there's all of these different themes and different ways that we can explore um, the scriptures where Jesus talks, we, we looked at um, in the book of John when Jesus speaks about um, vi- him, him being the vine, the father being the gardener, and us being branches, that if we want to bear the type of fruit that the kingdom brings, we must remain connected to Jesus at the source. And that sometimes takes patience and rhythms that are new. And we talked about, I mean, originally we talked about God as the resurrected gardener. Um, we, we talked um, about how the kingdom, Jesus talks about the kingdom of God as a mustard seed, and so we kind of compared that the radical image of, of the kingdom being like a mustard seed is almost like planting dandelions in your garden. Uh, it's an upside-down kind of, a, of a, an image last week that we looked at uh, that, that spreads in surprising ways, and it doesn't look like what you would think, and it's really dangerous to the systems of the world, specifically the religious systems, but also the socioeconomic systems of the world that, that dominate. It flips it all on its head, and, uh, and it grows in a bushy way instead of in a huge, grand way. This is the upside-down kingdom. And so, so that's the images. So we're going to do one more this week, one more story that Jesus tells. And uh, it's, uh, it's a really good one. But here's, here's the funny thing. It's, uh, you know how I've been playing around with the whole 
So here's what it says, but if you really understand the culture of Jesus and the time, then it like explodes with meaning. This one's not like that. Uh, there's no like, there's no secret cultural depth that comes in from understanding Hebrew culture or um, cultivation techniques or anything like that. There's one little thing we'll talk about. But on the whole, the story that Jesus tells was just as clear and relevant to the first hearers as they are to, to us today. It's very, Jesus is very, very plain, at least we think so, but that's partly because Jesus tells us exactly how to interpret this passage. Uh, so it's really nice when Jesus is like, oh, if you're curious, because I, I don't have a job then today. Like when Jesus tells a story and then he's like, here's exactly what it means, I stand there and say, that's great. My whole role is just to read it this week, uh, which, which is true, but we're going to get a little bit deeper. Uh, so the story is found in, uh, in Matthew uh, chapter 13, and uh, it's often referred to as the parable of the sower. A sower is someone who plants seeds, sowing meaning the word of, of, of planting, all right, putting seeds in the ground. All right, and uh, I should probably tell you what happens right before all of this is that, um, that people are coming to Jesus, and we talked about this a few weeks ago, and they're demanding a sign. The Pharisees are coming and saying, prove all that you are to us. And Jesus is like, this is just not, not the games I play, guys. I'm not going to be your monkey. I like this idea that you're coming and saying, if you are who you say you are, then prove it and maybe you'll convince us. And Jesus is like, no, it won't. It won't convince you if you are committed to being unconvinced. All right? This is really important lead up to this story. Won't convince you if you're committed to being unconvinced. And then right from there, um, after that, the next thing that happens is uh, Jesus' family comes uh, into or to the edge of the house, and, and they want to get a hold of him. Book of Luke tells us because they think he's crazy, and they want to kind of remove him from the crowds at the time. They do come around. Good news for all of us. Uh, but they do come around, but at the time. And this, in this story, Jesus says, listen, my, my mother and father and brothers and sisters, he actually leaves out father. <laughs> You can figure that out later. My mother, my brothers and sisters are, are, are the ones here walking with me. And he enlarges the family, but he's saying, you, you, you're still not quite getting it. So, so what we're told is that this is all happening on the same day. This demanding a sign that the Pharisees do, this story. Uh, it says, that same day, in chapter 13, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Now, I'm just going to be honest. I think he's a little frustrated here. I think Jesus has had a long day. And people aren't really getting it, a lot of them. And they're trying to, trying to turn him into something that he's not. And he's trying to proclaim this kingdom of God. So he goes out and he sits by a lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that then he got into a boat and sat in it. So, so if we're to understand this right, he might not have even have been intending to teach at this moment. He might have just been trying to get some fresh air. So Jesus, he, but either way, maybe he thinks a few will follow, but all these crowds come. And again, we're told that in, in these big crowds, a lot of people just are not, they're, they're, they're coming after Jesus for the wrong reasons. Okay? So, what happens? Such large crowds uh, gathered around that he got in a boat and he sat in it. And the reason that he did that is because these, these little things didn't exist in ancient Near Eastern culture. And so water uh, projects voices incredibly. So one of the ways that you would uh, amplify your voice would be to go out and to teach or, or speak from a boat to a number of people on shore. 
because the water, the, the characteristics of the water are different than land, which absorbs sound in a different way. And so it would just bounce out. And if you've ever heard someone at a lake, if you're in like a state park, and it feels like these kids are in your backyard and they're a mile away on a different beach on a lake shore or something like that, that's why. So, so this is why. So Jesus decides, okay, all these people don't really want to yell. So he comes out. And he told, he, uh, then he told them many things in parables, saying, A farmer went out to sow his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Many of these listeners, by the way, would have been subsistence farmers or indentured servant farmers of some sort, okay? Working very hard on the soil, gaining only a bit of its um, return for themselves. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it didn't have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came up, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop. A hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. And then Jesus says, whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. That's an important statement. It's been a long day for Jesus. So what ends up happening right after that, and I don't have a, I'll just leave this up, Sean, for the moment, okay? What ends up happening right after that um, is the, the crowds kind of move away, the teaching's done, and the disciples say, why do you use these stories all the time? They say, why do you speak to the people in parables? And Jesus replies, because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more, and they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken away from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. And then he quotes Isaiah. Now, when we hear Jesus say, whoever has will be given more, and whoever doesn't have, even what they have will be taken away, we are so cultured that we immediately put that in an economic system in our heads. Immediately. So all we think of is, well, that's really unfair. Isn't Jesus, doesn't Jesus like, care about the people who don't have much? And so this is totally, totally affected by the idea of Jesus saying, whoever has ears to hear. And it's linked to the Pharisees who come in and say, prove it to us. We're coming to you. Prove, us, prove to us that you're the Messiah, and maybe, maybe you'll be convinced. And he says, even these people that, that have a, a little bit of understanding or a little bit of desire to move, if, if they are not having eyes to see and ears to hear, then even that is never going to lead to anything. But those who have a grasp of what's happening, they will begin to see more and more and more and more and more. And so he quotes the prophet Isaiah, Though seeing they do not see, though hearing they do not hear or understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn, and I would heal them. I think what's really, really interesting is that the quote that Jesus uses ends with, I will heal them, and it's related to this seed imagery. So when we think about seeds growing or not growing, that doesn't quite, that's an in or out kind of a mindset that we can quickly go into. But when, we, when Jesus puts this idea of healing, my desire is to heal, then we start to think even about this imagery in different ways. But blessed are your eyes because they see and your ears because they hear, Jesus says in verse 16. For truly I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see but did not see it and to hear what you hear but did not hear it. So he said, others have longed to see 
And, and they didn't even get to see, like they actually had the right mindset and they didn't even get to see what you disciples are getting to experience. So kind of make the most of it. <laughs> uh, then listen to what the parable of the sower means. You can go to the next slide. Uh, when anyone hears the message about the kingdom and doesn't understand it, and he, so Jesus describes each of these three categories that he's just laid out. The evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. Then he gives the next category. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. And when trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they fall quickly away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word. So it's all these life circumstances make it so difficult, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So this is the, the story that Jesus gives. And I think sometimes some of us have been um, maybe, maybe led to understand that this is all just about in or out, in or outness. So there's some people who are just the hard soil people. And nothing happens. And then there's good soil people. I even saw an interpretation this week that said, listen, you don't pick the soil, and it's not under your control, and neither is the seed. That's up to God. So if you're fortunate enough to be a good seed and have ears to hear, thank God. And I'm like, yo, that's not, there's no healing that Jesus is quoting about in, in that. So, so what I want to challenge us with is when Jesus says, listen, sometimes you're going to have ears to hear, and sometimes people won't have ears to hear, and that's going to be up to them. There is some of that truth. But at the exact same time, right, Jesus is telling these stories to people so that they can hear and then say, I wonder what it means, and begin to lean in. Okay? So, so if we look at this as just a bunch of in or out, healthy or unhealthy, we might miss, number one, what Jesus is after, and number two, how it relates to each of us. Because I think if we look into our lives, we might be able to find ourselves in each of these categories any week, let alone across our lives. Which brings us to what we're going to do for the next few minutes. So friends, come on up um, and join me. So I invited a few people to be reflecting on this passage uh, in ways that they may either relate or find relevance um, to in their lives for some reason. And so what we're going to do is we're going to talk about how um, as we look to a passage like this, where, where we've seen and experienced Jesus uh, or, heart, or, or different soil types in our lives and where we've seen Jesus helping move us in certain directions, okay? So we'll uh, grab a couple of microphones here. Here we go. There you are. Wonderful. So, if you're meeting some people for the first time, this is Becca, this is Lori, and this is Bill, and, uh, and they are all uh, wonderfully insightful disciples of Jesus that enrich our, our community in many ways. And so, uh, so each of you, um, kind of as you reflected on this, and, and can we just be really honest that the whole, uh, oh, let me get rid of this for you guys over here. You can just yell at me if you see that in the way next time. Um, that these are not uh, crystal clear 
obvious cut <laughs> um, experiences that all of a sudden, this is definitely the rocky category. This is definitely the thorny category. This is definitely the, the path category. Um, but each of them, as they thought about their own lives, they're like, you know what, I think this kind of relates in, in this way a little bit, and I can, relate, I can relate here, and I can relate here, and I can relate here. And they all came down with a different category. So I thought, let's have some fun and have you each share. So there will be plenty of overlap in terms of how we view this, but um, it's just going to give us a framework. And so what we're going to do is I'm going to invite each of them just to share uh, what, what they connected with as they thought about their own life journey at different stages and, uh, and why and what some of that, um, what some of that looked like with, uh, with their soil and, um, and their own trajectory of growth with Jesus. Does that sound fair? And then we'll look at what the good news is in a story like this. All right, so Becca, I'm going to invite you to start because as we, uh, as we talked just a little bit, um, you found that maybe as you thought about some of the things, they fell into a, possibly a category of the path. Possibly. <laughs> and, oh, and one thing, make sure you keep the microphones up nice and close to you so that our friends on Zoom can hear as well. Friends on Zoom, I hope you can hear me and in the room. Um, yeah, so disclaimer, my first response was, Keith, I think my whole life fits into all of these yeah. categories and overlap significantly. But when I was thinking about it, the thing that came to mind first was the way I misunderstood um, the gospel when it was first presented to me and growing up in the church, and even even now, let's be honest, um, in that I equated acceptance in the church and with church people as acceptance into the kingdom, right? This very basic, here's a list of rules, right and wrong, in or out, um, and I followed that trajectory for quite some time. Um, and unfortunately, it kind of works really well, right? Like, if yeah. you are good at fitting in boxes, if you're good at following rules, um, it does work, and acceptance feels really good, um, especially when you kind of live in the church culture really deeply. But eventually, and very quickly, right, in order to stay in those boxes, to stay in the right and wrong, it leads to, for me, it led to a lot of hiding, a lot of people-pleasing, where I was essentially worshiping and idolizing what people thought of me rather than um, Jesus' acceptance and love, right? Um, so even though it was, it felt good to be accepted in the church and to follow the rules, um, it led to a lot of hiding who I was. Um, and this can, it's like everything, how you spend your time, how you dress, how you look, how you talk, yeah. what you invest in, et cetera, what you do with your career, um, it can lead to a lot of um, for me, it led to a lot of fear of disagreement with people, fear of conflict, um, fear of rocking the boat, and um, and that was a big misunderstanding that I had. So for me, that was me falling on the path, right, of people's acceptance, people pleasing to me. I thought that was the gospel. Um, yeah. yeah. So if I'm going to take that and synthesize it, Becca, you said you you said misunderstanding, you know, the the gospel, right? And and so I think one of the things that happens when our understanding of the kingdom of God is looking and appearing in an outward way to people in a certain way, fitting into those boxes. You know, the, the, the whole concept of the path, it says uh, lacking understanding. So I think sometimes if we think, okay, and this can sound like a real put down, right? That's not what it's intended to be, right, Becca? Right, like Correct. our whole journey of, of life is growing in our understanding of the breadth of God's kingdom. But if we don't understand that Jesus came to set us free 
and then we find that we're constantly beholden to try to live up to other people's expectations, that I'm only good enough Christian if I do all the things that that person says I'm supposed to do, rather than fixing my eyes on Jesus, experiencing grace, and letting Jesus kind of bring me into this upside-down kingdom, um, then growth will never happen. Because at least it won't, con- it won't be growth that's connected to the vine. So it might be bushy. You remember how we talked about like uh, the, the grapevine, where if it doesn't abide in Jesus, or if it doesn't abide, the process of just sitting there and getting trimmed back over and over, then it'll grow real bushy, but it won't be able to have any fruit. So we might like have a long list of all the great things that we've done and all of the impressive classes. You know, I taught Sunday school class XYZ. I can memorize this much of the scriptures, whatever. But... Um, but if we haven't been able to experience the, the type of kingdom that truly sets us free, that leads us to a life of love, being loved and loving others, then, uh, then we're, we're never going to, we're, we're always going to lack that understanding and, and growth will be almost impossible for us. So there's this, this uh, beauty of, or an opportunity for a healthier and healthier understanding of Jesus and the gospel. Lori, why don't you share a little bit? I thought I was going to be last. Oh, are you? You are, aren't you? You are. You are, my friend. Thank you. Bill, I was just going down the... I knew that Becca was first over there. I was going down the list. Bill, you were the one that recognized a little bit of some rockiness as you thought about what you've experienced. Yeah, so um, I guess when I was reflecting on that, the thought that came to my mind is like, sometimes life sucks. (laughs) (laughs) And the Christian community isn't often very good hmm. at life uh, sucking. Um, you know, like, like each time I've lost somebody in my, personally, right? Yeah. Somebody's asked me the question, oh, were they saved? All right, and um, let me go on record for saying, like, never ask that question, hmm. right? Because um, the energy behind it is, this is an uncomfortable moment, hmm. and I want the uncomfortable moment to go away. And if they're saved, then, oh, I don't have to feel bad. Makes light of You know, so like I was in a meeting with, with yeah. right, I was in a meeting with pastors one time, and this came up. My father-in-law had just passed away, and one of the pastors says, oh, was he saved? And uh, I really wanted to say, well, I don't know. He was Presbyterian. <laughs> you know, but... There were other Presbyterians present, and it wouldn't have been a good moment to be snarky at that time. And so, you know, but it's happened every time. And, and I think, like, when, when difficulties come into the Christian experience, you know, we're kind of told, give your life to Jesus, your kids will be great, your job's going to be great, your marriage is going to be great, and if you have any of these problems, then, like, I don't know, you must not be getting something right. You know, so, like, when I was going through my divorce, a lot of things were said because, you know, pastors don't go through, like, divorce, you know. And one of the things that was said to me was, um, or about me, um, Bill must have lost his salvation. And it was like, well, we're kind of like quasi-Calvinist people, you know, once saved, always saved. I didn't think this could really happen, you know, but... And that feeling of, like, somebody deciding that, like, I'm going to hell, hmm. you know, because of, of this, um, it was really tough. So, in any event, 
I think when I have encountered those difficult times, uh, it's just that we have that opportunity of either deciding like, yeah, either I was sold something, a bill of goods, right? I was sold a, a gospel that really wasn't true, or I'm screwing up because I'm not getting it right. Or I have to find some way to reroute my roots so I can get around this rock and get down into some soil underneath and, and uh, get growing better. So what, were, what was that process for you? So those, those moments can be really disorienting. So what did it look like for you to, in practical ways, Bill, to continue to, to grow beyond, um, yeah, to, to reach deeper, I guess? Um, so, you know, as a deeper part to my story, having specifically, you know, going through a divorce when I was in ministry and, uh, and then having to find a new church, mm. right? Um, very weird. Church yeah. shopping. Yeah. And uh, I just want to say that, you know, here is such a nice, safe place um, because I've never felt that kind of energy uh, in this room of like, you know, you have to have it all figured out. You have to come in with your smiley face on. Hmm. And uh, I was allowed to just come in and sit in the corner and set up chairs. Hmm. That's right. <laughs> I'm still sitting up chairs. Well, not these chairs, but back when we, we uh, worshipped in, uh, in the cafeteria. Um, and to be anonymous. And it was very healing for me to just be able to just be and uh, be here. Hmm. So sometimes it's just, it's just time that allows roots to start to lean in. Time of a lack of production, maybe, mm -hmm. um, of sitting with Jesus long enough for new, for new pathways to develop um, deeper. Right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. And so in many, in all sorts of different ways, um, you know, the if we look at this second category, it could relate to, you know, the way Jesus talks about his roots or, or depth. So, so um, if we haven't sat with, if, if it's all of the easy answers that we've just been given and we haven't sat with, with going through like real suffering or real struggle or asking really, really difficult questions uh, and then sitting with Jesus during that time, Sometimes we, uh, we'll never actually develop the depth that's required for a robust faith that can handle storms, um, but also that's not just quick and easy and joyful. And there is great joy. I think sometimes you hear, <laughs> we often, we're really honest about pain, right? We're really honest about trauma. We're really honest about the difficulty of a long journey with Jesus. But there's, there's great joy too. The problem is, you know, according to Jesus, sometimes we can start with all this great joy, but we haven't actually built something that can handle the storms. We haven't gone deeper with Jesus. And so that joy is, is it's not the kind of deep sense of well-being that joy can be if it's connected to the vine. Instead, it's something that uh, makes us feel really good and get excited, and then all of a sudden we find that when storms hit, we don't really have what we need to have uh, to, to withstand it. Laura, you want to share a little bit about uh, where are we at? We're at Thorns. <laughs> well, I feel like both Becca and Bill have, have already kind of explained 
where I was actually thinking as well. Um, I also have a church background where I felt like fitting in the box was what I needed to do. And um, the box was really well defined. Um, and I, I, I felt that I was doing a good job of fitting there. I also did have like this bad theology that kind of developed, I don't know how it developed, but it was kind of in that child children's song that we sang about wise man built his house on the rock, you know? Mm -hmm. And um, when the storms came down, his house didn't wash away. And then the very last verse of that is, the, the blessings come down as the prayers go up. The blessings come down as the prayers go hmm. up. And somehow I got this if-then theology. Hmm. This, if I follow the rules and do what I think God is asking me to do and be a good mother and be a good wife and be faithful and come to church and do all the things that I was you know, told that was my expectation as a woman, then I would have a good life and God would bless me. And I wouldn't have these difficulties yeah. and these, um, you know, nothing, my kids would be okay and I wouldn't, I wouldn't go through a divorce and I wouldn't lose my, I mean, like, I wouldn't, I would be protected from those kinds mm. of things. And so the evidence was in my brain was if those things exist in my, in my brain or in my life, if I'm experiencing these thorns, these difficulties, these barriers, then I must not be, I must not be pleasing to God. Hmm. Because if I was pleasing to God, if I really was good soil, he would have removed those things from me. You know, I wouldn't have to go through this. And, you know, I, I have, so I've gone through a lot of different things. And, um, it took me a long time to separate my circumstances from my from God's love for me, hmm. for God's for my worthiness as as you know like I can go through a hard time and I can be unsure about and I can have doubts and I can still God can still love me, hmm. you know, and I can still be just okay. That that's. That was that's what I think about as the thorns, is like circumstances that I didn't create. There are, there are things around me, the thorns, but I thought I was good seed, right? But I'm like, but if I was really good seed, would God have thrown me in the thorns? Wouldn't He have like planted me in a nice garden? Yeah. That's, those, those are good words. And, and when we look, I think when Jesus mentions a couple of these things, he talks about worries, worries of the world, and things related to material wealth. And I think sometimes when we think about these, this thorn image, we're quick to say like, oh, so it's if you have like the, like the wrong attitude, right? If you're just swept up in money, which is, which is what Jesus is talking about, if, if you're so linked to your stuff and your circumstances. But worries of the world are not just, oh, you need to deal with that worry. It's the fact that things don't always work out in this God is my spiritual ATM kind of a mentality that we often have, and therefore, will that choke us out, um, or will 
will we be able to somehow gather strength to, to persevere, to find out what's, what's next? And so a lot of the pain and, um, and struggles that we've experienced, I think, can lead to that like worry, like this is not what I was told. And, and you guys are all kind of singing similar songs here. We're just categorizing it in different ways, and that's kind of the point, that you can look at this everywhere. But, but let's just lay this out. I mean, my goodness, it, it sure seems like there are a ton of things that can stop the seed of God's love and good news from growing. Like, it's three to one if you're not keeping track. Um, it's not good odds. It's not good odds. So, is there hope? And, you know, like, like is, is this story good news at all? If Jesus is like, hey, the kingdom is like a sower, and three quarters of the time, all the plants die. But every now and then, there's health. Whew. I'm just tossing it out there. I'm not going to fix that tension that I just put into the room. So what do you think? What's, what do you, where do you hear, where do you sense Jesus wanting to encourage us as a body through this image? Where do you see good news in an image that can very quickly become hopeless and feel overwhelming? Well, I don't know if this is where you're, you're going, but like, so I... I'm not sure where I'm going. I do a lot of, do a lot of gardening. Yeah. Right? So I'm trying to think of what you just asked in, that, in those terms. And, um, you know, when you talked about getting your soil tested, you know, there's so much that goes into, you know, how many feet apart you plant each seed mm-hmm. and how deep and row height and all those kinds of stuff. Um, <clears throat> but all of the care that goes into that, that's from the gardener, right? That could take a place um, like the area where... I've been creating uh, our garden in now, uh, which is being very fruitful this year, um, but it's taken three years mm-hmm. of attacking the, the uh, turf. First I had to remove the turf, mm-hmm. and then the weeds that keep growing back, and it's still a lot of care, um, but, and rocks that were in there and pulling those out. Um, so the care that can go in from the gardener's perspective to remove the thorns and, 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 and the rocky soil and to make it something that's fertile. Hmm. Hmm. Continuing on the gardening theme, I mean, seeds can be transplanted, right, and moved by animals and wind, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So I think that for my own journey, especially when a lot of these things come about in the church, right, like it sounds like for all of us, we've heard these misconceived notions of the gospel in the church, but then I also think that because we hear them in the church, the church also has a lot of power to help us move towards the healthy soil. Um, mm. There's, For me, there was so much power in the church in seeing people be outside of the boxes of a church, but still in the kingdom. I thought these boxes were the boundaries of the kingdom, mm. um, but I saw the church then correct that. I don't like the word correct, but show me an, another way, right, that the, the kingdom is so much bigger than these boxes. So I think in some ways, the church can be so harmful in these ideas, and, but then has so much power then to move us with Jesus into the better soil as well. Yeah. And uh, along with that, 
Becca, the, you know, one of the characteristics of God that we see through Jesus through the prophecies is that he's the type, the type of gentle caregiver that won't snap a bruised reed, right? So a weak plant that, that Jesus isn't interested in just saying, oh, that thing's weak. So, so I imagine these plants that we've seen growing out of you know, the cracks in, a, in a, a highway in between the two yellow lines, right? And I think of, of God as seeing something and saying, wow, it's kind of remarkable that it, given those conditions that, that there's life that's emerging. That's incredible. And you just kind of get the image of this gardener as one, <clears throat> and it's the thing that we don't often think about in a story like this, is that the gardener's responsibility is to tend the soil. And so while there might be these different soils that we experience, um, the idea of, of Jesus coming to meet us means that Jesus can break out that, even the pickaxe, you know, in the hard, the hard path and soften it uh, and weed the thorns out. Um, take the rocks, like if you were, you know, last, last week when I played that goofy little video from my wife and my daughter gardening and putting, planting squash, you know, and Sarai's like five and Bethany tosses something, and Rai goes, ooh, them rocks, ooh, them rocks, because she tossed a rock out of the garden. Like, this is, this is what Jesus does. So, so we get a very simple imagery here that says, listen, if you want to learn and grow, you will. If you are committed to not learning and growing, you won't. And you see this take form in all sorts of people, and, and it doesn't always take root. But if the desire is to be rooted, that changes the soil in and of itself. And so, so there is great hope with, with this that I think that we can lean into and, um, and understand that, that there's just such good news. But I want to take this one step further and, and finish and close with our time um, with this encouragement. And you all can just stay up here, and if you want to add to it, feel free. Uh, but every time I've heard this story told, the focus is the soil. You should be good soil. You want to be good soil, right? Um, do the things that it takes, and, and we've just been talking about that, like that if we keep our eyes on Jesus, the soil does get transformed, but that's kind of the point. This is not called the parable of the four soils. Jesus doesn't start the parable and start the story by saying there were four soils. Jesus starts by saying there was a, there was a sower, and so the, the starting point for this story is that there is a sower. Now, here's the thing with that. Um, the, the farmer is the main subject of the story. And then Jesus talks about the farmer's actions. Now, here's where we get just one fun little cultural insight. And that is that I mentioned earlier that many of the listeners would have been subsistence farmers. What that meant is that they would have been working the land as their career and their livelihood, and it was a struggle, all right? So when you hear a story of a farmer who has seed, seed was hard to come by. We think of seed as you just buy it in the pounds, but seed had to be harvested from the plants from the previous year, carefully um, stored so that they would not go bad. And then when planting season came, plant them in the most optimum conditions to get the greatest yield. And so what you get is you get a story where Jesus goes out and he says, so the kingdom of God is like this farmer and he's throwing seed freaking everywhere. He's just scattering it recklessly. And the farmers who are listening are just like, yo, that is so wasteful. That is wasteful that you're just throwing seed and you don't care if it lands on the path. You need to make sure that it all lands on the good soil. But that's not what the farmer's doing. 
And so, and then we, we, we're told that the seed is the word of God, and then we're told later that Jesus is the word of God throughout the whole scripture. So Jesus is the ultimate word of God. So, so the, the farmer is sowing the good news, the seed of Christ, into every nook and cranny of all creation on his farm. Just throwing it out. And wherever it lands, it lands. And the hope here, if we get too obsessed with soils, the hope is that, or, or the, the good news in the midst of this is that God is so recklessly loving that God sows the seed of opportunity for people to connect and grow in the kingdom to the most unlikely places. And sometimes it won't last if there's not openness. But God sows opportunity for love and redemption on both sides of every war to every single person. God sows these opportunities for love and growth to the people in our society that we think are the lowest that we ignore the prisoners, the poor, the immigrants. And God sows his good seed into all the corners of our lives, some of which are really hard-packed dirt. Um, and we just wait and see what happens. I remember when, uh, when Bethany and I moved here in 2011, mid-2011, um, there was a lot of like, we didn't, know, we didn't know anybody, so the way that you gained encouragement and connection was you would connect with other people who were starting churches in other parts of the country. And so there were other people from a lot of different traditions, but whenever we would say like, oh yeah, we're planting a church in the Northeast, in Delaware, uh, the response would be, ah, <laughs> hard soil. <laughs> uh, you know, because you can plant in, no, I'm not going to say it's easier other places. But it's easier other places when there's more receptivity in the country. You know, the Bible Belt, new churches always popping up. Um, but, but the idea that sometimes your like, seed is going to fall on hard dirt, and we found that. We found that in our own lives and in each other's lives. Like There are things that just take time for God to cultivate and garden, but that's what God does. And so I find it unbelievably good news that God is in the business of sowing recklessly. Um, it's just, yeah. Sometimes I like, I like thinking about words, and I've been riffing. So let me just read you these two sentences, because I thought about them earlier. There is no hard path, no rocky ground, no dark crevice, no hopeless racist, and no overlooked refugee who is beyond the reach of God's scattering seed. And neither are you or I. God sows Jesus with reckless, wasteful love that doesn't stop to consider who deserves it. All have a chance to sprout up and to be cultivated by the gardener. And so I love the idea of transplanting. I love the idea that sometimes things are grown on windowsills before they can be planted into the garden that take great gentleness and care, and that's part of what God's brought us to as a church, right? We kind of are a windowpane church where we can take seeds where, that we're like, oh man, there's just been too much intensity. I need like a safe place. And then, and then we start transplanting. One more final thing and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up our time. And that is that um, one of, Ched Myers is a, a theologian uh, who works with a lot of, um, a lot of the, the stories in the scriptures that relate to agricultural and economic themes. And one of the things that he mentions uh, when he looks at the story of the seed that hits the fertile ground, when we are receptive, when we are soft-hearted, according to the scriptures, um, 
the, the, the beauty here is that the sower and the seed don't just have a good, a good season, but they can change the whole system. He says, with such a surplus, the subsistence farmer could not only eat and pay his rent, tithes, and debts, but he could purchase the land and thus end his servitude. So the subsistence farmer hears Jesus saying that the empire of God is liberation from oppressive and exploitative relationships even. The reckless sower ends the cycle of despair. It's good news not just for us as individuals, but for a society at large. So, um, so yes, I want us to think about our soils this week. I want us to think about what parts of our lives we actually need conviction. That's not a bad word. Where do we need God to come in and transform our soil? Where do we need God to help us get a little softer? Um, what has been pulling us away from being receptive to the good news of the kingdom that sets us free, forgives, liberates, and brings wholeness? Um, but also don't forget that the sower is what the story is started with. And so let us remember the beauty of that sower. Um, and the good news that the kingdom of God is being thrown all across the world through the spirit of Christ by God. Um, and that we're not excluded from that tossing either. So, all right, thanks, friends. You can have a seat. Thanks for offering your stories and your insights. Um, the way we're going to end our, our time this morning, um, we, we shared in communion earlier and so there was a, a song that I stumbled upon this week by a, an artist named Andrew Peterson and uh, it it leans into the whole image of what we've talked about for the last month so this is kind of going to be the end of, of the theme that we just have been having fun with um, but it's this image of God as sower of God bringing forth life in the earth and in the soil of our lives of of um, the invitation to abide. So it just felt like it was a good capstone, and I decided that I, I didn't actually want that to happen while there was a bunch of movement. I just want to invite you just to receive this song. We're going to fill the space with sound. Um, if it's helpful to close your eyes, if it's helpful to stand to receive something, by all means, you've got total freedom to sit, to be quiet. But just allow this to be kind of a worshipful cap on the last, whatever, five weeks, four weeks. It was just going to be Easter, and then I got carried away. Um, but there's just so much beauty in understanding the process and the season of resurrection through the imagery of, of growth. Um, so, Sean, when we're ready, yeah, so in just a moment, we're going to, uh, we just put an image there because sometimes an image to lean into is helpful. But I just want to invite you just to receive, and then we'll, we'll uh, send you out of here in just a moment. Okay, so just be still, and I'm, I'm going to invite you to... Um, to say, I want to be receptive, Lord. I want to be receptive to the word of God, to the goodness of the kingdom, to the life and spirit of Jesus being planted in me. And let's just be thankful and see where it leads us. So I kneel at the bright edge of the garden at the golden edge of dawn At the glowing edge of spring When the winter's edge is gone And I can see the color green 
I can hear the sower's song Abide in me Let these branches bear you fruit Abide in me, Lord Let your word take root Remove in me The branch that bears no fruit And move in me, Lord As I abide in you As the rain and the snow fall Down from the sky And they don't return But they water the earth And they bring forth life Giving seed to the sower Bread for the hunger so shall the word of the Lord be with a sound like thunder. And it will not return, it will not return void. We shall be led in peace and go out with joy. And the hills before us will raise their voices. And the trees of the field will clap their hands as the land rejoices. And instead of the thorn now, the cypress towers. And instead of the briar, the myrtle blooms with a thousand flowers. And it will make a name, make a name for our God. A sign everlasting that will never be cut off. As the earth brings forth, sprouts from the sea. What is so Justice and praise to rise before the nations till the end of days. As the rain and the snow fall down from the sky, and they don't turn, but they water the earth and they bring forth life. Give a seed to the sower and bread for the hunger. So shall the be so, right? Our heart is that it would be people of the sower um, and that our growth would be deep with Jesus, that it would lead to justice and compassion and internal transformation in our own spirits, that we would experience the rescue of God starting right now, echoing for all eternity. Uh, 
but that we would not lose hope that uh, the imagery that we've been talking about these weeks, um, God is a God who continues to grow us and grow the kingdom in the world.